G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is delivered by Mark Fairhurst from the Church Missionary Society. He's going to be talking a little bit about the Church Missionary Society and their work, and then also preaching a sermon on John 14, 1-14. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John, chapter 14, beginning at the first verse. Glory, Glory to, to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And this can be found on page 1337, 1337 of the Pew Bibles. This is where uh, Mark will be focusing his sermon, so it's worth having in front of you. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for me anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, please take a seat, and as you do, Mark's going to be coming up and uh, preaching for us. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here this morning, and thank you for your welcome. Uh, it's uh, one of the privileges of my job is going around seeing many different churches, and it's always a great reminder of the fellowship we share as Christians not just locally, but right across the world, that as you walk into a church, you're welcomed as part of a family. So thank you for your welcome today. Uh, before we come to that passage, can I especially thank you for your support of Bruce and Libby and their ministry in Nepal? Um, 
your support of them has enabled them to be there now for over 30 years. And that is an amazing thing, isn't it? Um, it's allowed them to build long-term and fruitful relationships while they have been there. And so uh, for Bruce, uh, one of those relationships has been with Narayan. Uh, Narayan, he met him in a Bible study back in the early 2000s um, and uh, began to disciple and encourage him. Uh, Narayan is now the national director for a discipleship training school in Nepal, raising up leaders for God's people uh, in that country. Um, and because of a relationship that he had with Bruce, he's invited him onto the board. And just recently, in, the last, uh, in this, this, this last term of service, uh, Bruce has joined him in that ministry. And it's that long-term relationship with, with Christians like Narayan that enables that sort of ministry to take place, to encourage him, to pray with him, to join in the ministry in that way. And it's your long-term prayer and support of Bruce and Libby that enables that to happen. Well, it allows them to build long-term fruitful relationships, but it's also allowed them to build uh, fruitful ministries as well. So Libby, as you're aware, has served in a number of different schools during her, her time, uh, in their time in Nepal. Uh, as a teacher of primary and, and high school students, as principal in two schools, uh, involved in the administration. And really her ministry has allowed those schools to develop and to grow. Uh, and through that, allowed many other long-term missionaries in Nepal to stay and continue to minister there. And again, I want to thank you for your support because it's your support in prayer, in finance, that allows that to happen. And your prayers as well have brought them through many tough times. If you've uh, followed Bruce and Libby's prayer letters, you'll know that one of, the, one of the features that occurs pretty often has to do with getting visas, getting work permits. And over the years, it has just been increasingly hard. Uh, even in the last five years, as I've, I've uh, known them better, there's been a number of times where on the very last day, the day they would have to leave the country, finally a visa has been approved. Uh, there have been months of when they haven't had work permits. Um, it has been really hard for them to be there. And there's been a number of times in the last five years that I thought, they're just going to give up. Uh, but they haven't. They've persevered. And in answer to prayer, doors have reopened. And it's your support in prayer that has enabled that to happen, that has strengthened them, that has brought those wonderful answers. So I want to encourage you, say thank you, encourage you to press on. Uh, if you're not already supporting Bruce and Libby, if you don't get their prayer letter, pick up one of these leaflets from, from the, the display over there and, uh, and you can fill out the... Uh, the card that's inside and give it back to me and, and I'll make sure that you get their prayer letters regularly. They're always uh, very, their, their prayer letters are great. Um, and I want to encourage you just to continue to support them financially as well. You may be aware that our lasting hope appeal is on at the moment. Uh, giving to that enables us to ensure that missionaries like Bruce and Libby can stay where they are for that length of time and have the ministry that they've had. So thank you and press on.
in, in that work. Well, let's come now to this chapter of, uh, of John, John chapter 14, and hear uh, all that it has to say to us. As we come to these words of Jesus in John 14, which I suspect many of us know well, it's good to remember when he said them. He says these words to his disciples on the eve of his arrest, his trial, and his death. And so it's really not that surprising that the very first words in this chapter are, do not let your hearts be troubled. They had great reason to have troubled hearts, these apostles with Jesus. He just told Peter that despite his uh, profession that he was going to stand and die with Jesus, that very night he would deny him three times. He had told them that one of them was going to betray him. Perhaps even worse, he'd said to them, I'm going away and you can't follow me and you won't be able to find me. There was a lot for them to be troubled about. But it's not just them, is it? There's much in our lives that troubles us. And I suspect if, uh, if we were just to chat around one another this morning, there would be many deep things in our lives that have or still trouble us. Perhaps the shame of sinful actions that have deeply hurt others. Or perhaps like Peter, there's been times when out of fear, uh, we, we have disowned Jesus. Uh, it may be things beyond our control, the cancer diagnosis, uh, the anxiety of where, where the next dollar is coming from to pay the mortgage. There's a lot that troubles our hearts as well. And there's a lot that troubles our missionaries' hearts. As I read their prayer letters, there are constant themes that run through of of the hardships of fellow Christians that they live among facing, facing hatred and persecution, of churches broken by sin and false teaching, of, of their own families and especially children struggling with living in a foreign culture where they don't understand and they often are un- misunderstood. You see, living in this broken world that we live in and even more, living for Jesus in this broken world will often bring pain and confusion and trouble and even it even did for jesus back in chapter 13 as he speaks about judas's betrayal we're told by john jesus was troubled in spirit and testified one of you is going to betray me so as jesus speaks these words he knows the trouble and confusion they were facing, and he speaks to it head on. He wants them to know how they can hold fast in their faith in him and fold fast in their service of him in the face of all those troubles that they face, which is great news for them and it's great news for us as well. And so what comfort and encouragement does he give us Well, he begins by saying to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And he goes on to speak about their future being certain. Their future being certain. My father's house, he says, has many rooms. 
If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I, where I am. Now, they're wonderful words of encouragement, aren't they? And it's not wrong that, uh, that they are so often read out at funeral services. It's a great reminder of the eternal hope we have. And there are really three really vital things for us to, to hear as we read those words. Firstly, there's no shortage of rooms in our Father's house. It, our Father wants us to be there with him. It doesn't matter how far we've fallen or how great our sin may be. There is never a no vacancy sign on our Father's house. And he promises that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? There is no shortage of room in our Father's house. But even better, Jesus says, secondly, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, what does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that he's going there to plump up the pillows and put a chocolate on the pillow. Uh, no. How does he prepare a place for us? He did it by dying on the cross and opening the way so that our sin could be forgiven and the door of heaven opened wide for us. You see, as Jesus speaks these words and says, don't let your heart be troubled, they're not, they're not trite words from Jesus, some sort of platitude to make things a little bit better for them. No, they are real words spoken to the real fear of death and judgment, and they are backed up by Jesus' real action. I go to prepare a place for you. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be made perfect by him. But then he says, thirdly, he will return and take us to be with him forever. It's not as if Jesus goes to heaven and then says to us, well, you've just got to find your way here somehow or other, like some cosmic game of snakes and ladders. No, he says, I'm, I will come and take you to be with me. Now, Thomas himself struggled with that. And he says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus' reply is both, both glorious and stark. He says, to, he says to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a glorious thing, isn't it? Because the way and the truth and the life isn't a path that we have to somehow or other discern and follow. It's a person. It is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if we know and trust him, then we've found the way. And our future is absolutely secure. I can still remember the day I first realised that when I realised that being a Christian wasn't about me trying to follow Jesus' way and so often failing and falling, but it was about Jesus and everything he had done for me.
And I can remember the glorious peace and assurance that came from that and that I still have. It's glorious. But it's stark as well, isn't it? For if it's true, then as Jesus says, he is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so our lovely, unbelieving neighbours, friends, family members can only come to the Father through Jesus. It's why CMS missionaries travel to the ends of the world to tell people about Jesus. It's why we should travel to the ends of our streets to tell people about Jesus. Where do we find peace for our troubled hearts as we face this world of trouble? Well, Jesus says, know that your future is secure. I have it. It's safe in my hands. And I will take you to be with me forever. When we know that, we can press on in living for him and serving him. But Jesus has much more to say to them yet. And so secondly, he goes on and says, Don't let your hearts be troubled because you know and see the Father now. And so in verse 7 he says to them, If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Now it's Philip's turn to pipe up this time and he says, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And I've got to say, I resonate with, with, with Philip there, don't you? You know, when you're in the midst of overwhelming fears and troubles, isn't our longing that God would just show himself in some way to us so that we can hold on to him? Show us the Father and that will be enough. But the answer that he gets back from Jesus... <laughs> I don't think it's what he really wanted to hear. But it's the answer he needed to hear. So Jesus answers him, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You see, Philip, he's looking for a divine revelation, an experience that would lift him out of his misery and his fears and his confusion. But what he gets, really, is Jesus piling on, <laughs> saying to him, Are you so blind and dumb, Philip, that you cannot see that in me you've already seen the Father? Open your eyes to what you already have. Now, they're hard words, but they're what Philip needed to hear. Because we don't need a new revelation of Jesus. Some new spiritual experience when the Father seems distant from us. We need to remember what is already true. That in Jesus we see and know the Father perfectly. When we hear Jesus' words, we hear the Father speak. When we look at Jesus' actions, we see our Father at work. When we see Jesus hanging on the cross, 
we see the Father's love at work to save us. When we hear Jesus' words to the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, you hear the Father's promise to you. And yes, when we hear Jesus condemn the Pharisees' religious hypocrisy, we hear him condemn our religious hypocrisy. When we see Jesus, we see the Father and we know him. He is not hidden from us. Now, I don't know where you are in your work, walk with Christ, whether this season is a season of great joy or a season where you may be feeling fairly crushed. But wherever we are, Jesus' words to us are, lift your eyes and look at me. You can trust me. When you see me, you see the Father and you know the Father and you cannot be closer than that. Peter then goes on, uh, Jesus then goes on to say what is a most amazing thing. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled because your work and your prayer will never be futile. And this is how he puts it. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It seems preposterous, doesn't it? How can we in any way say that our works will be greater than Jesus' works? Surely that can't be right. But Jesus said it, so we better think about what he means. So what does he mean? Well, in many ways, the answer lies in the context of where Jesus is saying these things. So often that is true. When we find the Bible hard... Look at the context, think about where it's said, and often the reason will come out. And here, the context is the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They stand between Jesus' works that they have already seen and the works they will do in the future. You see, Jesus' works that he speaks of here that he's done are his pre-resurrection works. And because of that, in some, to some extent, they're veiled, aren't we? We realise that as we read through Jesus's, the story of Jesus' life in the Gospels. Um, he will often speak in parables, which people find unclear. He'll heal people and say, don't tell anybody. There's a sense in which they are veiled. And it's why the apostles here are having such difficulty understanding him. They still haven't got it yet. When post-resurrection, they understand it completely. They understand who he really is and what he's come to do. Here they've sort of understood that he's the Messiah, but they don't yet understand that he is God's own son, God himself in human form. They've sort of understand that he's about to die, but they don't understand why. 
But when he rises and ascends to the Father, the truth is seen and it can be spoken clearly. So when the Apostle Peter preaches at Pentecost, he finishes what he says by saying, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. His message is absolutely clear and 3,000 people believe it that day. How are our works greater than his? They are greater because we can speak the gospel clearly. His work is finished. But not only that, Jesus says, there's another reason. And that is that he has ascended to the Father and he hears our prayers. Did you hear that? I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. You see, our prayers matter because Jesus stands behind them. Now let's be clear, this is not some absolute promise of Jesus to do whatever we ask. Father, give me my Ferrari. (laughs) More seriously, Father, heal me of my cancer. Father, give me a job. It's not a promise that everything we ask for will be given. But it's an absolute promise that as we seek to glorify the Father and we pray that his name may be glorified, he will answer and he will do it. When we pray, hallowed be your name, he will do it. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he will do it. When we hold on to him in the midst of our cancer and pray, Lord, please hold me fast, he will do it. And as we live for him and speak for him and pray through him, our work will not be in vain. We may not see thousands of people coming to know Christ. We may face great struggle, but he will do his work. As CMS, we send missionaries to some of the hardest places in the world, to Japan, where only three in a thousand people know the Lord Jesus Christ, which is one of the largest unreached people groups in the world, and it is just tough going to speak of Jesus. To the Middle East, where missionaries have to be so careful about what they speak in the midst of a Muslim environment. Now to Spain, which we may think of as a Christian country, but which has been thoroughly inoculated to the gospel and where people think that people who actually believe in Jesus are from some sort of cult. It can take years for them to build relationships, to find people who are open to hearing the gospel. But you see, no matter how hard those places are, their ministry will not be in vain. And your prayers for them will not be in vain. So press on. Pray. Don't give up. 
because Jesus will answer and glorify his Father. Well, finally, very quickly, he says to us, don't let your hearts be troubled because you'll not be alone. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What a great encouragement that is. As he says to them, I'm leaving. You cannot follow me to where I'm going. But he says, I can come to you. And through the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us, he does just that. We are not abandoned. It's a great and wonderful truth, isn't it? There's many times in our life when we feel distant from God. And our prayers we feel are just bouncing off the ceiling. But you see, no matter how we feel, it's not true. He has given us his spirit. He will not leave us as orphans. He is with us. And the solution to those dry times in our life is not to find some new way to feel closer to him, but to take him at his words and believe him and know that he's with us. The world is full of troubles. It's no mistake that Jesus, as he comes to the very end of all of these words in these chapters, at the end of chapter 16, he says to them, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Friends, hold fast to him in the midst of the trouble because he is holding fast to you. Amen.